Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Delighted to say Joanna Fortune joins us for our parenting thought. As always, if you have questions, email them to afternoon at newstalk.com. Joanna, uh, you're surviving. Just about, ah, yeah. Two weeks in a row, face to face with a human. I know, it feels so fantastic. We're back to it. I hate using that word normal at the moment. It feels like you're tempting fate and it's saying something you're not. But just being back in person is great. It really is. I'm not taking it for granted yet at all. Um, I think that, I don't know, hopefully this is an easy one to start you off with. Um, my two-year-old daughter refuses to brush her teeth. She clamps her mouth shut every time we come near her with the toothbrush. We have to hold her down to brush her teeth and it's very stressful, upsetting for everybody. Any suggestions on how to encourage her to brush her teeth? You know, not an easy one at all no. because do you know what happens is this is that beautiful age at two years old when that era of no, <laughs> just no, really begins to emerge that assertion of independence you know when they want to me my no they want to do it on their terms themselves or in this case they do not want to do it on their terms and it's very difficult to reason rationalize cajole convince a two-year-old because that's not the way their brains are wired so this is actually not an easy one at all so I really empathise the one thing I'm going to say though is uh, when you talk about we have to hold her down and it's very stressful I'm definitely going to say stop doing that because it's only going to upset you all and it won't achieve the change you're hoping for. Like you're going, well, the end game is her teeth are brushed, but at what cost? Is it that an association comes in that every time she sees a toothbrush, she goes into this anticipatory state of, oh my goodness, you're going to restrain me. This is going to be awful. Mm. And you get that anticipation and that high emotional charge around something that will be a feature of her daily life, brushing her teeth. So I would move away from that. Easy for me to say, I know, but I would move away from that. There's a couple of practical things you could do, one of which is you could consider booking an appointment with a paediatric dentist, you know, who is very accustomed to working with two year olds and negotiating these boundaries and coming in and hearing it from somebody else can be really helpful for children. You could definitely do that, but give them a heads up at how resistant she is before you go there. She won't say no to him or her. Well, or to him or her, yeah. But, you know, at least it would be, oh, this is something and this is an exciting place okay. and there's lots of things to look yeah. at. And, oh, here's a fancy toothbrush in a wrapper for you yeah. to hold. Could be a lollipop at the end. I doubt it's lollipops in the dentist, but yeah, there could be a sticker. I think, I think. There are stickers. I think it's stickers. You're right. (laughs) I can't see the dentist giving a lollipop. But stickers, I think, if I remember correctly. And stickers are like currency when you're two years old. So don't rule out getting an old sticker book yourselves at home. Other than that, though, you could get a couple of toothbrushes, two or three. You can get these really nice little ones that are, you know, appropriate, like they do the job, but they have little clipper lids on them that are different animal heads. You can get them in your supermarket and you could have two or three of those and get her to pick her own brush. So there's that little bit of autonomy Mm. and it's my brush on my terms that I chose. I'd also let her hold the brush, you know, have a little look at it, play at it, put it in her mouth without you forcing it. So you get your brush and you put it in your mouth and invite her to mirror what you're doing to see. Now, I'm not saying she's going to nail brushing her teeth, but what you're trying to do is break down this resistance to her even putting the brush in her mouth. And that's about slow and steady. You could also try give her just the wet brush 
and not the toothpaste, just in case it's the toothpaste, you know, the smell or the taste of the toothpaste that she's not enjoying. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, at that age, they don't spit it out. They're going to swallow yeah. it. So if she doesn't like the strong minty flavor or whatever it is. That could really be a trigger. Give her the wet brush because at least she would be brushing her teeth and it's better than not brushing them. Definitely let her see you do it. Very much normalize it and try to bring as best you can a bit of fun and playfulness into it. You know, you might be brushing her nose and go, oops, I made such a mistake. I don't brush your nose. Where does it belong? In my mouth. Yes, in your mouth. You know, be a little bit playful with it. Brush your ear, brush your cheek, take out Dolly, brush Dolly's teeth, you know, just really kind of normalize it and be playful with it because that's what's going to make it feel like, oh, yeah, that's actually something mm. that's quite nice to do. And I like it. And it's something we laugh about. Right. It's something we enjoy as opposed to it's something we scream and roar yeah, at each other that's about. That's quite the sea change there. It's the association you're trying to reframe in a really positive way there. And talk to her a little bit about we got to brush our teeth to make sure there's no cavities. We don't want any little bugs coming in our teeth or whatever word you want to use. You could use germs, you could use bugs, you could use whatever you like. You know that the toothbrush will catch them and take them out. And that's what we're doing. Use a song that you sing, have a sand timer, you know, just a little two minute, a little egg timer and just have her hold it. And when all the sand hits the bottom, you're okay, done. Right. So something that's about redirection, distraction and playfulness. But as a first step, try to break that really negative, highly okay. charged, contentious association that every time she sees the toothbrush, she's already going oh, right. resistance. Trying yeah. to get a bit of world of fun in there. So, that we, well, I think I, what I meant to say was a short one. It wasn't a simple one at all. <laughs> um, so my youngest throws screaming tantrums. I have a four and a half year old and a 21 month old. My youngest has had a personality change in the last few weeks. She was always very happy and content. She's become very demanding and clingy. Our biggest issues have been terrible changes to her sleep. She can become very agitated, screaming for herself and will then begin to trash around the cot. At first, we thought it was the night terrors, but not that anymore. This behaviour is also happening during the night when she wakes, screaming, grunting and shouting. We can't seem to do anything to settle her. She usually has to, we usually have to change her after these episodes as she is soaked from all the tears and becomes very hot. These tantrums have been, had been confined to nighttime until recently. She is now tantruming to get her way. We had a huge outburst in the park as she wanted to be carried. I walked away as she thrashed around on the grass. She eventually got up and fought followed, but all the time crying and screaming. It is very distressing. Her question is, when she's raging or tantruming, what is the best thing to do? Oh, goodness. I mean, Difficulty isn't that so distressing for everyone involved? And, you know, the 21 month old in the last few weeks, personality change. I mean, it's a mm. developmental shift into full blown toddlerhood, isn't okay. it really? And what we see around this stage is that second year secure attachment cycle, which is about boundaries and limits. In other words, it's about I want, but the answer is no. So, for example, your child wants something, you know, they want ice cream when you're out or they want ice cream instead of dinner. And you say, no, you're not having ice cream and they will either accept unlikely, let's be yes, honest, yes, or move to test or defy your limit. And how they do that is they get louder. So they tantrum, they get physical, they get high pitched, they cry, they wah, wah, wah. I know it's unpleasant, but it's absolutely normal. That whole cycle, it's what we parents do next that makes or breaks it. Because if we crack and say, oh, for the love of God, just stop screaming and have yeah. the ice cream, you know, and we do that more often than we don't, then we teach our young children that screaming and tantruming is a very effective form of communication. And that when we say no, what we really mean is, can you please shout and roar at me? And We're, then I will say mean, yes to you. Not yet. Exactly. So, I go mean, higher. look. 
Now, Tom, nobody gets that right all of the time. Like, definitely. This is about mostly right most of the time, because sometimes in the supermarket, opening the packet of biscuits to get the shopping done is the right thing to do in Mm. that moment. And you haven't derailed your child's development by doing so. It's about more often than not, you were able to hold that boundary because while no child will ever say high five, thank you for those boundaries and limits. It is a crucial part of their development and it starts at this age. So being able to say no, tolerate a no and internalize that boundary and limit that there is somebody who is bigger and kind and wiser, i.e. my adult in charge, who will stop me and my behaviour getting out of control. That's really, really important. So now all of that said, when you're in the when you're in the throes of it, it's very easy for me to say it and hard to hold on to this. But try to remind yourself that young children are still very much developing their social emotional skills. They haven't got there yet. They don't have the words to express big feeling states like this. They rely on their overt behaviour as a means of conveying what's going on. I feel dysregulated, overwhelmed. Um, I'm, this isn't making sense to me. They can't do that. But, you know, they can shout and roar at you mm. and tantrum. Um, it's also effective. You know, when you say here she's tantruming to get her way. Well, if she thinks it is a way to get her way, then isn't that a very effective form of communication? She has to learn it's ineffective in getting her way. And that doesn't mean you stand there and you're like, no, no. And you're kind of rigid Mm -hmm. and detached. It's about being connected and kind while being gentle yet firm. Okay. I I always when people say the um, the tantrum and the grass one, and I've seen one or two of them in supermarkets. Oh, yeah. Supermarkets are a hotbed for this stuff. It's never happened to me. And I, I often walk by them and say, thank God. I know. And I think it's useful to remind those of us who definitely have had it happen to us that when it feels like everybody is watching you, judging you, they're not. They're just saying, thank God, that's not me. Because so many have been there. But, you know, the tantrum in the park or there, it's a lot of I'm having so much fun, not the supermarket, but say the park and the example here. I'm having so much fun. You've ended my fun. Even when you gave me the probable verbal cue of we're going in 10 minutes. Time is so abstract when you're 21 months old that you may as well have said two weeks. It means nothing to me. So I feel like you've abruptly ended something. You've done this to me. I'm angry. I'm frustrated and I am showing you those feeling states in my tantrum. Again, I'm explaining, not excusing. And I do want to acknowledge that, you know, while it's an effective way to push against boundaries, to test independence, while I'm saying it's normal, I also want to emphasize that when tantrums are so severe, and at such a heightened level and they last for way longer than what is typical, like 10 minutes of a tantrum. Again, like this parent said, you know, she's safe on the grass. So I just took a few steps away like I was walking away. That's fine to do. But if they go on and on and a child is getting themselves into such a level of distress that maybe they vomit afterwards or like this at times are soaked in sweat from the effort um, of it, then yes, I and maybe they're tantrums that derail family planning. You know, you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm not going to go out. We can't go here in case of the tantrum. Then I would say I'd like you to seek some advice on that because that's above what we would consider a normal tantrum right. kind of range. Okay. But when it comes to these meltdowns that you're talking about, identify triggers as best you can. Like maybe you know that saying no or saying let's go is a definite trigger. Uh, maybe when she gets tired, 
maybe when she's a little bit hungry, maybe those are triggers. So identify as best you can a pattern to these. What are the key triggers and try to get ahead of it before it happens as best you can keep calm or at least keep calmer than she is in those moments because you give her a lower state to co-regulate with. If she loses it and you lose it with her, now you're both having tantrums and there's no way she can do that. And keep calm enough. And when when it comes down enough, even if she's not fully out of it, I'm thinking when she's up off the grass and following you, still crying, but following you, that's time to come down to her level and offer the hug. And that deep pressure, holding her tight, that proprioceptive deep pressure hug, that touch can be very, very regulating in that moment. And then just hold her little hand and sway it in and out because rhythm and synchrony are so effective for triggering the parts of the brain for regulation that that's really what you're trying to do is get her back on track. You're not trying to go, that wasn't acceptable and here's why. Okay. She's 21 months old and you're shouting into the wind. You want to reestablish connection as quick as you can. Lots and lots of sensory messy play because it's going to teach her that She can externalize that chaos and she can project it outwards, all that mess and icky chaos, and you can contain it for her and you can organize it with and for her. That then is a she's able to internalize that you can also organize and contain her internal chaos and mess as well. So lots and lots of sensory messy play. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Joanna Fortune with us. If you have questions for us, uh, 53106, the text number or best email afternoon at newstalk.com. We'll have more after this. You're very welcome back. Tom Lund sitting in for Sean today and we have Joanna Fortune with us answering your questions. 53106 for your text or better to email for these to afternoonnewstalk.com. Now this one for you, Joanna. Um, I have a seven-year-old who cannot do her number two on the toilet Mm. and does it in her underwear. We have been to a psychologist, doctor and consultant, but no success. Can you suggest any other method of helping her? She did have severe constipation as a baby and child, which has contributed to this. Oh, goodness. It is really difficult. And you've done all of the things that I would immediately suggest with situations like this, like always rule out the physical. Don't decide it's emotional or psychological without saying maybe there is a problem here. But you've been to your GP, you've seen a consultant and you've seen a psychologist. So I'm curious about what the psychologist was doing with her. Was it a kind of a CBT approach, a behavioural approach, or was it something more play based? I'm definitely at this stage of seven going to be, you know, suggesting you go down more of a play based symbolic thing with her. I'm curious that, you know, she's had this constipation as a baby and a young child. And I mean, that's really difficult. It's painful. You know, she has, we just talked about with the brushing teeth, that is that negative painful association where I've my body and my brain have decided, actually, I don't want to do that because it's Mm. sore, it's painful and then it's happening. So I'm curious, is she soiling in her underwear, you know, as a choice, as in, well, I need to go and I'm just going to go in my underwear or is it because she's holding and holding and then can't hold any longer? Maybe she's taking a stool softener to help her with this. And so it's coming out in her underwear while she's dithering about going to the that toilet must be very or not. upsetting for her, I presume. I think it would be very distressing. And also she's seven, so she will recognise that her parents are also frustra- yeah. understandably frustrated about this too. And you've brought her to people that, so she knows it's a problem, so to speak. And, you know, like if she's doing this at home is one thing. If she's soiling her underwear in school, other children at this age will notice, will say things, will point this out. So it does become even more emotionally fraught and stressful for everyone involved. So she needs to unlearn the pain 
associated with going to the toilet. And, you know, while, as I said, I, I don't know what your psychologist suggested or advised or if you could go back at this stage, maybe if you didn't see them for a couple of years, if you could go back to them, it might be no harm. I also think, though, a play based therapist who's not going to you know, talk to her per se using words about the problem, but is going to allow her to play and express herself using a lot of creative therapeutic means so that she can process that association and maybe work it through in a more representative way that that could actually be very helpful. At home, though, immediately, because I'm also aware that getting an appointment with any play based therapist, psychotherapist, psychologist at the moment is, you know, a waiting game. There are long waiting lists. I, You know, with situations like this, I really like to do something that is like take a balloon and I've mentioned this here before, take a funnel and pour in wet sand into the balloon till it's quite full and then have her squeeze it out. Okay, so she gets that whole kind of playful way of kind of feeling full, squeezing it out, squeezing it out to try and trigger that in her body, that association with releasing and letting go, explaining why we have to go to the toilet, why we have to send our poo to poo land or whatever it is you want, language you want to use. She is seven, Mm -hmm. but if she's a very young seven, that would still work. If she's a more mature seven, just say the reason that we all have to go every day is it keeps our bodies healthy. Get a little book about bodies, you know, depending on, again, her level of insight, really explain it to her that this isn't me giving out to you or saying you must do it simply because I said so. It's actually something our body bodies need us to do and talk about how our bodies give us that warning. Hey, you need to go and we need to listen to that. I would sit down and have a chat with her about it, play it out. You know, you can also make slime and play around with those slime recipes. You'll find loads of them online, but play around with them so that you can get the texture of the slime. I'm pulling here like on the like anyone yes. can see. What I'm, it's like mime here. Um, but, you know, you can make it quite stretchy um, and, you know, you can play around with the texture of it. You can add in, you know, something like the environmental glitter. You can put in little water beads, anything like that, that you can add into it, that changes the texture, that just really invites her to do that. Mm. I think that would all be really helpful. And making the scented Play-Doh and again, maybe a subtle, not so subtle connection, make chocolate Play-Doh with her, put in cocoa powder and just have her really manipulate and play with that because you're trying to trigger these associations that she can go to the toilet and feel safe. Okay, very good. Um, 5306 for your text or afternoon at newstech.com. On the teeth, um, listeners saying, I put a little blob of toothpaste on her finger mm-hmm. and let her rub the toothpaste in her teeth herself and then she can progress to the toothpaste toothbrush later. Another listener said, um, I have identical twins or I had identical twins the same. I let them brush first and I would say I'll give them the once over afterwards and that worked. Yeah. And uh, we found that reading the selfish crocodile story, our toddler was encouraged to brush his teeth because he didn't want a sore tooth like the crocodile. Yeah, Yeah, anything like that is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Good and positive stuff. So this one, shooting forward to a bit, because I think mm. I think a lot of people coming through the last 15 months are going to the screens have never yeah. been more in people's lives. And Absolutely. I have to say, particularly after the last 15 months, you have to raise a little bit of a flag for them and say at times they were an absolute godsend. Oh, and they were a feature of family life and yeah. how we were adjusting and, you know, not just the playing of, you know, video games online, but Everything went online, yeah. work, school, connecting with family. So, yeah, they've really dominated. And getting this balance with it is crucial and very bi- challenging. A bigger and more complicated issue mm. every day. So this listener says, my almost seven year old does not have 
or play any video games. His friends are making up games in the schoolyard based on these video games and my son feels left out. It does seem that they all have access to video games at home and he's the only odd one out. I'm keen to keep him away from these games and he does not have a tablet either as I'm concerned that he will become obsessed with it and it will have a negative impact on him in general. Can you please advise what to do? This is such a tricky one because as a parent, you've made a very clear choice and decision. You know, you're aware he's not having access to this. I'm concerned what it might do. Therefore, I've made this decision and your decision that you feel really strongly about and you believe in is actually being challenged, not by other parents, not by your peers, but by his peers. Mm. And you're going, well, they all have access. He's even the language here. He's the odd one out, you know, that there's something odd about not being on these games. And maybe there is if all of his friends are doing it. However, I would be very slow to change a parental choice and decision on this basis alone, because what you're basically doing is you're acquiescing to a pressure outside of yourself. And it's not that you've reflected on it. You've, you know, given him very gradual access to maybe your device. You've seen the impact it has on his behavior or not. You've seen actually he's fine if it's 20 minutes. If it hits 40 minutes, actually, then he struggles. You know, you haven't gotten Mm. to work it out yourself. So I would say if you're going to change your decision, let it be on your terms, not on someone else's. Not just about this, about lots of things, but especially about this. I do think, you know, there's something about is he missing the video game or is it the fact that when they play in the yard, the reference, the play reference is to the content of the video game. And so he doesn't have context for the play, in which case could he talk to one of the group and say, hey, I don't play that game. Can you tell me about the characters and which character am I? And okay, what that what's that character like? What am I supposed to be able to do? And, you know, kids go, yeah, no problem and tell you that. And then they can get on and play. You know, sometimes a simple solution is the solution to it. If it's more of a case of the kids going, oh, I'm not bothered explaining if you don't play the game, you can't play this game and I'm being excluded because of it. Again, I wouldn't let that be the basis of changing your home rules, but maybe looking at, well, what other kids in your class play differently or play similarly to you or have similar interests to you? Or maybe tomorrow you could ask, could you suggest a game for you guys to play in the yard? So it's not always the same game so that you could suggest something maybe if it has to be based on something, it's a book they're all reading in school or maybe a TV show or a cartoon they all watch that they are all familiar with, but insert himself more into the play. I still think, though, that when our children are upset, distressed, that we we have to just bear witness to that and not minimise those feelings or say, I'm responsible for fixing this for you. Sometimes it's about being empathic and say that mm. must be really hard. And I'm wondering what you could do about it. And is there something you'd like me to do about it? Or do you think you can handle this? And that I know I can bring those tricky feelings to you and you will help me to work them out and to gain mastery over Very that good. tension myself. Hard though, Tom, hard, because when yeah. your child's upset, everything in you just wants to jump in and fix Solve it. it as quickly as of you can. Of course, yeah. That's a child with the screen at seven. But mm-hmm. I get the impression that how mo- the screen is going to come into that child's life at some point, whether it's eight or nine or ten Absolutely. or eleven. And after that, it, it, I wonder, do we appreciate how important those screens are to children, how much it connects them to their friends these yeah. days. And he's also coming into that age of middle childhood when digital based play, screen based play does begin to yeah. feature more. Now, not it should never be at a cost of the imaginative play because children will still migrate towards that if we make it appealing and inviting and accessible. But I think it is time to begin to just say, well, these are our rules that have served us really well 
to this point and maybe now we re-examine the rules. That doesn't mean mm. you change them and you say suddenly, well, now you can have access to everything. But maybe it's about you saying, OK, well, I'm willing to give this much. OK. And let's see how that goes and we yeah. can review it then. So you give a little and a little and a little. It will definitely feature strongly in it. Be interested in what interests our kids. Okay. I really think that's important. So if he's genuine, I just didn't get from this letter, is he genuinely upset that I'm not playing the video game or is it because I feel left out in the yard? The yard you can deal with if it's I really feel I need to be playing the game. That's something that you have to sit and talk to him with and come to something you're both comfortable with. That's the key part of it. If your child is starting to play video games and it's something that you've held a boundary on and now you've decided they should begin to sure. have a go at it, sit with them. You know, don't be intrusive now and all over them in the game, but just see, observe what is the game? How do they approach it? What effect does it have on them? Just be around. OK, very good. Uh, one more for you now. Yeah. My 11 my year old is sharp with her answers. My 11 year old daughter is very sensitive and defensive. She hates being told off. She can be very cutting and sharp with her answers, saying hurtful things without thinking of the consequences. Lovely, bright girl. But how do we get her to be more aware of her words? Yeah, it's not interesting, you know, that she's really I, I think it's like when she's hurting, she hurts others. Yeah. You know, and we know this hurt people hurt people. But it's like she hates being told off. Then she gets very cutting in her response, very defensive. In other words, I wonder if you structure her being told off in that whole, you know, acknowledge her feeling. Look, I know you're upset because I've said no or I said you can't do this or whatever you did. It's not OK to talk to somebody like that. That's not how we talk mm. to each other in the family. When you're cross with me, here's four or five things you can do and give her alternatives. So target alternative behaviours. Don't assume when she's in that flipped lid state, you know, when she's flipped her lid and lost yeah. it, that she's going to go, I can make a rational, good alternative choice here. That's something they need help with. So what with. can she do? Well, maybe she could go into her room and yeah. she could have time away from you. Maybe she could sit and <laughs> you could say, imagine I'm sitting in that chair over there and say all the things you want to say to that chair, but you don't get to say it to me. Right. You know? Say it quietly. So, well, so I don't it depends hear you, on how she wants to do it. You know, if, if you have a child who likes to hit and you don't want them hitting their brother, for example, yes. or their sibling or you, then say when you feel like you really need to get your punches out of your hands, you can punch the cushion over there, but you can never punch people. So I'm acknowledging your need to do it, but targeting an alternative that isn't going to hurt you or somebody else okay. and putting a boundary. I think as well, when it comes to the words, you could play a little game with her. You want to frame it now in a playful way that you're going to play out different feelings using words. And you're going to write out in scraps of paper a couple of just short little phrases. Some of them will be harshly worded. Some of them will be really kind. Some of them will be funny and take turns reading those to each other using the tone and the facial expression and all of that that goes with it. And then stop after each one and go, how did it feel when I said that to you? Like, what do you think that would be like? And I wonder how you might say that differently so that you're playing it out in that way. I think that that would be it. But also use a pause button. When you see that she's starting those verbal rants or tirades that you actually just say pause. We got to hit the pause button here because you're saying things that are going to be really hurtful and that's not OK. Take a breath. How else could you say it? And if you need to take a break from each other, let's do that and we can come back and finish our conversation when things are a bit calmer. Hit the pause button with they her and they teach will her hear to that. do that will herself. They, the pause button. They, will. She, they will if you walk away while you do that. I'm going to walk away. Okay. I'm hitting the pause button on this because it's getting out of control and I don't want you to say things that are going to get you into trouble or hurt my feelings. So we're going to pause. I'm going to go to this room and in 15 minutes, I'm going to come back to you and we'll pick it up. 
Okay, so it's not that I'm leaving you in this state, but I'm I'm sort of short circuiting okay. where it's going so that we can come back and revisit it. She's 11. She can do that. And you need her able to use and access her own internal pause button as she's beginning to move forward into this kind of pre-adolescent stage in anticipation of adolescence ahead. Joanna Fort, uh, fortunately, um, fascinating as always. <laughs> Thank you. For, I always Thank find I, I'm running out of here, having written these things down to put them into action in in various. But well, that's the whole key, you know. That the, there's something useful for people to yes. use. Yeah. So uh, I hope those answers were helpful to you as well. So uh, remember, if you have more for us, uh, email afternoon at newstalk.com. Moncrief on News Talk, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank. Think again.